0: Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of PreReal. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome to the Pre-Real Podcast. We're joined today, folks, by Jeffrey Donis. He's the managing partner at Donis Investment Group. We were just chatting offline uh, about the market and what we're seeing out there and some of the opportunities and challenges. Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today.
1: Of course. I appreciate you having me on, James. It's a pleasure. Uh, I think we connected on Instagram. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out, man. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, really excited to see how I can add value to your audience.
0: Well, it, it's for for me, it's uh, it's always great. You know, we, we were chatting about perspectives and how yeah. uh, we could be talking about the exact same thing in the exact same moment and people have different perspectives on it. Uh, I have to comment, though. Uh, I'm a little distracted by the books you have behind <laughs> you. Uh, we have a book club here and I'm going, yup, yep, <laughs> yep, 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 uh, yep. Is, is that... Uh, is is that optics, or do you really subscribe oh, to yeah the, the yeah, rich no, dad these are poor really, dad yeah. stuff? That's you you that's really true, dove yeah. in on it.
1: Yeah, yep. I I love uh, Robert Kiyosaki. I've Had the pleasure of meeting him in person. I've met Ken McElroy a few times as well. Um, I, I hang out with the real estate guys a lot, so Ken McElroy will come out to their events pretty pretty often, and we get to hang out. Um, and Hunter Thompson, I'm in his mastermind group. I love Napoleon Hill. That's all these books. I you know I have mentors and and. People I look up to in the space and love to learn from.
0: It, it's a, an amazing and beautiful time to be in anything, really, any yep. business. Um, there are so many tools that are available to us and so many opportunities. I'm I'm in a uh, a, a group called the Land Geeks, and uh, awesome. we we do some uh, passive investing with uh, yeah. with land. And they were talking last night. Uh, one of the coaches and mentors there, Scott Todd, about 20 years ago, when they would go to like the first kind of convention that they had, uh, it was like an unwritten rule. Nobody talked about what counties they were working in. Nobody talked about strategies that worked. Nobody talked about price Mm -hmm. points that they were at and how dynamically that has changed. And yeah, Uh, I'm wondering what your journey has been like. Have you found the community to be
1: ingratiating and and, yeah? Yeah, no, Uh, I've been a part of, thankfully, and, and, um, you know, I've been fortunate to have been a part of multiple different mastermind groups at various different, uh, I guess, niches and kind of parts of my journey. Um, It's been amazing every step of the way. And uh, I continue to look for more groups to join but everyone's been, you know, accepting us with open arms. And by us, I, I work with my two brothers. So I have a twin brother and an older brother. Um, and we're young, we're uh, obviously hungry. But in regards to our background, we don't necessarily come from money and things like that. So when we go into these groups, a lot of people might be intimidated if they come from a similar background or have similar limiting beliefs that they've had to overcome. Um, it can be kind of difficult to jump into this space knowing where you come from. But for us, it's really been a lot easier to do that when there's so many people looking to help and as a young person, it seems like all the other people are looking to pour into us. So it's been nothing but uh, blessings. That's that's
0: great, and it's wonderful to hear. I love that expression that you know, having others pour into you. Uh, it, the the community uh, has been um, just amazing to me. The on the podcast side, this was a, mm-hmm. a really big personal challenge. I'm not a public speaker. Uh, I've yeah. you know, I, I wanted to find a way to take these 30 years of experience and impart it to people and, and mm-hmm. to uh, hopefully inspire folks to take, you know, next steps in their career and, and maybe learn from some of the lessons of of mistakes and successes that I've had. Uh, and I found the same thing, man, like the, the community yeah. was over the top, wonderful, like people are so eager to help. And it's great to see that in what historically real estate has been uh, historically a very closed, you know, the good old boys network. And it was really hard to crack into those groups.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, before we got on the call, or I might've said it now, but I've, I've been in it for three years now, which is obviously a lot uh, more recent than you. And uh, it's awesome. They have a lot of experience, but since I've been able to join, it seems like depending on what niche you're going into, right. It seems like the wholesaling, it's a lot more, uh, it's attracting a lot more younger entrepreneurs and people that are just first starting, perhaps that's for obvious reasons, like the lower barrier uh, of entrance. But in regards to the multifamily space, I can definitely see a lot of similarities in regards to what you just said. Um, it seems like that is a lot more close knit. Uh, but even that kind of environment is changing as people like me kind of jump into the space. And um, we're slowly starting to show other people that it's possible, regardless of where you come from, um, and regardless of what your background is, your even your education, really, I think uh, a lot of people might think they need to know everything before they get into it, which is obviously impossible. So uh, we're really, my brothers and I, our goal is to inspire people to jump in and regardless of what you're interested in, only thing holding you back really is yourself.
0: No, no doubt about it. Uh, you hear this uh, in, in many different contexts, but the the most important eight or 10 inches are right between the ears. Your mindset <laughs> is so, so, so critical. Um, You know, I'm, I'm curious, you you had mentioned earlier. Clearly, you're you're young, you're energetic. I love it. Um, was it family? Was it the older brother that led you down the path of real estate? Where did the the passion come from initially?
1: Yeah, so I love that question. So Like the passion itself, um, that's a different for me. That's a different. I can give you a different answer for that than how we got into it. So, uh, if you don't mind, I'll give you the first the first part in regards to how we got into it. My older brother was the first one to come across wholesaling. And he found it on um, YouTube. He was just watching The Breakfast Club one day while he was in his college dorm room. Uh, have you heard of the show? Sure. Yeah, and a guy named Mark Witten was on talking about wholesaling. And Mark, Mark is a, he's an African-American guy, comes from a low-income background. And that attracted and kind of was something that my brother can relate to. We're Hispanic. Uh, we come from a low-income background, single mother. So we were like, okay, well, this... Individual on this TV is making a lot of money, and he's he was pointing at the screen saying, If you're out there and you know you're, you come from nothing and you want to make a lot of money or be successful and build a life by design, this is a business that you can do because I can do it. Um, so, my brother started looking into it, he told us about it. Um, and the first book my brother read was Rich Dad Poor Dad He kept telling us, You have to read this book. I didn't read it until I went to Guatemala for the first time with my whole family. Um, that's where my mom is from, as I mentioned. And when I got there, I realized. humble beginnings that my mom comes from and she wasn't I used to think she was exaggerating because she'd always give us these crazy stories about her having to walk for water and her having to take care of all her siblings and having to heat up water if she wanted to like take a shower because there's no hot water and then I went there and I had to do all those things and I was like wow okay she wasn't lying and this is actually legit and I was taking everything I had here for granted even though she was telling me that it's hard to actually understand what she's saying until you're in her shoes right so came back and after that point we were like, no more paralysis analysis. We're going to take action. So um, we all got into it at the same time. But my brother learned about it first. Now, in regards to the passion, I grew up playing soccer. I've always been competitive. Um, and I used to play at a pretty high level. So uh, I'm, I'm the kind of person that, like I, like you said, we both already, I'm assuming you have the same exact trait where you just have a lot of energy. I love to win. Um, I like to, to to see progress every single day. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I, I love the idea of winning. Um and then just trying to like go towards my absolute best potential every single day. That's really what drives me. Um, I don't know what it is. And it's hard to put like a word on it, but I have wise, like my goal is to retire my mother. That's the first thing. Um, So that really does drive me. But if I were to say like, truly where my passion comes from, there's just something inside that it's like a burning desire to to be great in all aspects of life. Uh, That's a factor and an external reflection of that is through my business.
0: Yeah. So Thank you for sharing. Um, there's a common thread or a common theme that I, I find uh, the more and more people I have on the show, us serial entrepreneurs, uh, have that burning passion, that fierce, uh, and it is a fierce yeah. competitive yeah. streak, right? Uh, you, yeah. you said a few things that really landed for me. You love to win. Um, you know, this. It, those are things that I I... I believe there are certain components and certain elements of what we do that can be taught. Uh, but then I believe that there are others that cannot. I believe that there are certain traits that um, are you have it or you don't have it. I think that you can improve upon them. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that you can absolutely put the time and work in and see results. But uh, there is that, that fifth or sixth gear that we seem yeah. to have, uh, and and to to build something special, uh, it requires that folks don't often see the other side of the coin and the immense sacrifice uh, that it takes to build uh, a winning portfolio, a winning business, whatever it may yeah. be. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're we're at a point in the world where success is almost uh, becoming frowned upon in in mm-hmm. certain contexts, mm-hmm. and uh, it's tough to to explain. You know, I couldn't begin to to revisit the missed dinners, the missed holidays, the missed events with my kids, um, yeah. the disappointment with my wife. Um, yeah. That is a part of, or at least I had thought at the time, was a critical part of winning and succeeding. It was you give it all you have, and you know there's collateral damage sometimes, and that happens. Oh, for but, sure. You know There are better ways I've learned as I've gotten older, uh, and you still have to be fierce and you still have to compete, um, but there are smarter ways to go through it. But anyway, there, there's a lot of sacrifice on the other side of this, folks. It's not you wake up and have a real estate portfolio one day, and <laughs> and I love seeing the fire and the passion, uh, Jeff, because you can't teach that piece of it. Uh, so let's talk about the portfolio. Uh, the goal, yeah. I believe, is uh, 1,000 units by 21. Is that correct?
1: Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because uh, uh, I don't know exactly when. Yeah, did you, did you hear about my goal? Because it kind of reminded me. I, I we hit a thousand uh last month in post-concert. hey, <laughs> so, uh, congrats, I baby! It's funny, thank you, thank you. Uh, Good it's stuff. Pretty funny that you say that because uh, I must have put that somewhere. You see, I, we, I write things down all the time.
0: And... <laughs> we do our homework before we get here, so yeah. I'm glad that that happened
1: to <laughs> yeah. you, man. Awesome. Thank you. I turned 21 in September, so I, I definitely appreciate that. Um. In regards to the portfolio, we, uh, we're co sponsors on those deals. So, I've uh, been four deals in uh, the Southeast that we closed on uh, alongside our partners. It's been a little over a thousand, and we're under contract on our, our fifth deal that we've we, uh, sourced ourselves. These are all multifamily deals, 100 plus units. Uh, we target BC class properties. Um, personally, we'll source deals out of Atlanta and North Carolina. Uh, and on the co sponsorship side, we've co sponsored deals. In Atlanta, Jacksonville, Florida, and Waco, Texas, um, so I it's been awesome. and I credit it to, to first and foremost God, but also uh, we have some awesome um, team members that uh, we've leveraged their experience and they've given us the opportunity to partner with them. So uh, definitely a lot of mentors that have helped us get get to this point. Could could you explain to the audience what co sponsor means? For sure. So uh, co sponsorship in, in in regards to what like I'll kind of just explain what it looked like for us. Um, on the first deal we did, uh, we had one individual in our mastermind group who found a deal in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, he found the deal, he sourced it, and he really was the one running point on the deal. But he obviously needed help doing certain aspects of the deal. So our skill set, uh, we can—we have a, a very vast network of individuals who are a lot more experienced than we are. Uh, and what we focused on was actually networking. Um, so we could raise a little bit of money as well. And we kind of brought in our investor relationships as well as some equity partner relationships. Um, and we also were pretty good at, at marketing uh, when it comes to it. So we helped with some email things. And then he gave us the opportunity to partner on the deal for, for bringing all that value. And now we're you know participating in the asset management calls. Um, we're going and visiting the property multiple times a year. And it's awesome. And that's what a co-sponsorship kind of looks like. You're not necessarily the lead sponsor. We didn't sign on the loan on that first deal. That takes a certain net worth of liquidity when you're playing with these big deals that have multi-million dollar uh, loan evaluations so we didn't meet those requirements and that typically is what a lead sponsor will do they'll either sign on the loan or find the deal and then kind of lead the, the deal whether they're doing asset management or just making those decisions uh, we were just playing the decision uh playing a key role um on the team but not necessarily playing point
0: so uh, is it the goal for your group your brothers to become the lead sponsor on deals, is that where you're headed or are you very comfortable uh, in the more passive side of it?
1: Great question. So on this deal, we have under contract, which um, I'm not going to say any other information on it, but uh, we, we, we do. Um, you're learning quick, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just to kind of get like, uh, to be transparent, but transparent where it's like not crossing any lines, right? Yeah. Um, we definitely are running lead on this one. Um, we founded ourselves, we're obviously bringing on partners to help us with key, key roles like asset management. And we're going to partner on the asset management. We're going to do the asset management ourselves, but we understand that it's awesome. And the amazing thing about this space is you can leverage other people for everything. So we're having a partner that has more experience than us. That's going to help us with the asset management. And um, we also have a partner that's going to be a KP. So certain roles like that, that maybe we couldn't do by ourselves. We're leveraging other people to do that in exchange. Um, for, you know, equity in the deal and all that. So they're definitely getting value out of it. And so are we. So uh,
0: one of the things I absolutely love about this space is you can stay in your lane. You can do what you love. And uh, if you if you're confident first and if you uh, trust and have confidence in your co-sponsors, partners, whatever the structure is, there is a beautiful world out there where if marketing is your, your bag or or the finance side or capital raise or whatever it may be, there's, there's a, a whole mess of deals out there, folks, that you could bring your specific discipline to. And there, at least the, the groups that I've had the, the pleasure of working with have been really good about not crossing the lines. Like they do yeah. their part and and you do your part. And as long as everybody hits their marks, the deals run beautifully. Has that been your experience also?
1: 100%. And I think that's where uh, playing with a strong team, like it's the same exact thing, but to go off of it, um, if you can find a solid team and solid partners that have an amazing track record and experience, if you're new, then you don't necessarily even have to understand all of the rules, right? You can just be really good at your role in the beginning. And eventually, when you want to build your own team and you can maybe lead the team, uh, at that point, you would understand what the, all the roles look like and what comes with playing all the roles. So a hundred percent agree.
0: So are you guys growing the the company uh, all from within? Is it the the three brothers that are handling you know networking, marketing, capital raise? It, it, it's yeah, it's it's the bro. that's that's awesome. Man. so
1: great. I can so I do the investor uh, capital raising on the front end and then investor relations and creating the team. um, so that's my job. I'm like the communications guy and you know networking guy. My older brother does acquisitions, so he's going out, meeting brokers, underwriting deals, um, and then we'll do asset management as well. That's his role. My twin brother does all the marketing, um, which kind of goes hand-in-hand with what I do, but that's why we're twins. <laughs> you know, we kind of work together. Um, so he does like the, the things that I just don't enjoy doing, but uh, he's really good at it, which are podcasts. Um, we have our own. He's in charge of the website, lead magnets, email automations, all the things like that. And he's a really good writer. He wants to be an author. Um mean he is an author, so he is the one that kind of writes anything we need to write. He'll write it. What a blessing
0: that that's amazing. It is really a blessing yeah. so you 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 mentioned a couple of markets, um Atlanta, North Carolina, and then a few other markets where your co-sponsors uh, are so a couple of part question here the The markets that you're in now was that more of a of a byproduct of there were deals? Uh, you fit a niche in the deal, so you you jumped on board and you're, you're kind of in there passively, sort of, uh, but you're not lead. And and you you jumped into the deal because your uh, you were aligned in what they needed and what you were able to provide, or uh, was it you said, "Hey, I want to be in these markets," and then you reverse engineered it. How did you land where you landed, essentially?
1: Yeah. So. Um, we live in North Carolina, so I would I would first and foremost say it's geographically, uh, geographically it makes the most sense to, to go to the markets that we're in. So I live here in Raleigh, Durham, the Raleigh, Durham area, which is why we, we look here. We look in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Charlotte, and then also Atlanta is a market that we're in, and it's only six hours from my house. It's an amazing market, um, and we were already co-sponsors on a deal there, so uh, that's why we chose those markets. Uh, also, at the end of the day, it's where you're getting deal flow. Right. So my brother was just getting deal flow out of Atlanta uh, and North Carolina is where we want to be because we love North Carolina. One, it's an amazing market, too. We live here. Uh, we grew up here, too. Like my brother went to school at UNCG, which is like 45 minutes from where we live. Um, my twin brother went to Chapel Hill. So we grew up all around this area. We, we know the market very well since we grew up here. Um, I grew up playing soccer in North Carolina, so I travel all these places growing up. And now I get to look for apartments there, which is pretty cool. Um, that's why I, I love the market of exactly where we are. But that's how we landed on those. Um, and was your question how we landed on the markets or how we decided to be lead sponsors? Just to Yeah. Identify?
0: So what I'm trying to, to determine is, did you end up in those markets uh, because it was a byproduct of that's where the deal was? and you fit the group so you did the deals there or was it no we love these markets because of specific metrics and and you is that just when you're the primary investor the lead or you know how did you land where you landed was it purposeful in that way or is that <laughs> being saved for when you're lead
1: no so we are leads now um and, and we we're we're always looking in these markets for the same reason in any deal we did. It fits these all all these categories. There's a job population growth. Um, there's job growth in regards to jobs moving into the area. I mean, here where I live, Raleigh is obviously one of the most the biggest uh, markets in the country for a good reason. Apple, Microsoft, all these big tech companies are moving here. Same goes for Atlanta. All these tech companies are moving. A lot of people are moving there, which means that there will be continued rental demand. Um, and and I'm obviously More inclined to invest where I've already invested and where I already have done deals. So Atlanta was a market that we've already done a deal. I've been there before. Um, I have a lot of connections and relationships in regards to property management companies there. Same goes for North Carolina. It's more so that we hadn't done a deal here in NC, but we live here and we first started looking for deals here in NC. So we'd already built uh, relationships with people that, in regards to uh, property management companies and different third party companies like that, that we were going to need. We've already built relationships here in NC domestically, so that's another reason why we chose this market. Um, but if I had to like step away, all the other variables and, and different factors that you determine and use to determine what markets you're going to invest in, all both of those markets and all the markets we're looking in, they check all those boxes.
0: So the so much of the growth over the last several years um, down in the southeast corridor and and, and even in the Midwest now. Um, has been relocations from uh, mm. the bigger cities, right? There, There yeah, is a, yeah. a, a clear decentralization. We've been screaming about this since what I call the retail apocalypse in 2008, <laughs> uh, that there were certain factors on the horizon that yeah. to us it was crystal clear this was going to happen. Primary markets were going to take a hit, secondary markets were going to become primaries, and tertiaries were going to become secondaries. So but this is a cycle, Jeff, right? You know, yeah. this is yeah. now my third full, and technically, um, geographically, it was limited with Superstorm Sandy, but it was a half of a cycle there. Uh, I've seen the up and the down, I've seen the ebb and the flow. Um, historically, when the music stops and rates start to increase and inventory levels become more of a challenge um, for the opposite reason, because inventory is mm-hmm. rising we have found the secondary and tertiary markets are the first ones to soften. Now, Hmm. because of this very real shift in demography and shift in, in people's mindsets and patterns, do you believe that that will continue even through the smaller, the slower markets. Do you believe that people are still going to be trading in the big city life for some of these secondary markets?
1: So, in regards to to make sure I understand your question, are, do I think people in secondary markets are it, are, we going to, are people from primary markets are going to move into secondary markets?
0: Are they going to continue? Right, they've been moving into the secondary and tertiary markets over this last boom of seven, eight, ten years. As the cycle changes, do you think that yeah. those secondary markets are going to continue to see growth? Oh,
1: I do I think it depends on where you're asking. so well, I, I can only speak on the markets that I, I am involved in. Um, so Atlanta and the North Carolina, we honestly look in mainly primary markets like Charlotte, Raleigh Durham, and then Atlanta. And it might I guess you're it's all subjective in regards to primary, but in my opinion those are primary. Um, and those are, are we're still continuing to see increase in population. Uh, I don't see why people would stop. Um, look at the uh, the in, in, in population growth in regards to Atlanta specifically. Uh, that's continuing to go up. There was an article that came out last week that it was uh, ridiculous numbers in regards to the amount that it was increasing. I don't remember the exact number. I want to say around eighteen percent, but those are numbers that we I, I still expect to to continue seeing. I do uh, think Atlanta is not in like a New York in regards to. Um, where those markets are at, right? It's very, very far from that. So I do think people will still continue to move there, and also I, people follow the jobs, right? So as jobs continue to move into these certain markets, I do expect to see the same population uh, of people that are, are, are looking, and it, it may it might slow down a little bit um, as these things start to like fizzle out and the dust starts to settle. But I, I do think things like COVID happened, and that's why we saw that increase in people coming from New York down to the Southeast. As COVID goes away, maybe people start to move back, um, but at the end of the day, these are amazing places to live in comparison to New York. It's a lot more affordable. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's where jobs are going. Uh, a lot of these big companies, are like, like Tesla, for example, they're moving to Texas away from California. So these are things that I do expect to continue happening.
0: Yeah, the the, the thing we've come back to a number of times, and, and we've talked about it on the show, uh, when, when we were looking at our SWOT analysis uh, every year, kind of determining where we think things were headed, uh, legislative risks was one that yeah. was at at the the top of the list year after year and right. i think it just the the tipping point um uh, we blew past it and the big companies started to say hey the the risk uh is no longer worth the reward to hang in there yeah. in some of these big cities so uh when you know for a long time jeff it was it was frowned upon to not be at your your desk every day you know in some of these big competitive companies uh it was yeah you know, seven day a week grind, you, you were in or you, you didn't have a chance to move up the ranks. And it was a, a hell of a shift to see these big companies start to go, you know what, I can pay this employee 70% of, of their salary. I don't have to have the overhead of the fancy office. I don't have to deal with the politics in the office. I don't have to deal with the, you know, the, the, the paid sick leave and and you know all of the different things that are are layered upon the, the companies. Not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying as they yes. stack up, there is a, a, a tipping point. And I think we blew past that. And now you've seen so many anchors relocate. Uh, that companies yeah. are embracing it and they're fostering for people to work remotely, which is mm-hmm. such a paradigm shift from everything I I'm knew. sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. And, and to be honest, I never got a corporate America. I never went into corporate America or anything like that. But obviously growing up and all the movies and all that, you see how it was common, a common thing that people are working in offices. And now it's pretty standard to see people working from home. Um, and, and I think that's obviously a big shift. Um I guess, like for your business, I assume that's obviously had its certain its implications in regards to people might be looking for certain types of amenities right at their properties and things yep. like that because they're spending more time at home. Um, so these are things that we are obviously taking into account as well.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great observation. The amenities and the things that uh, are offered, you know, perhaps outside of the four walls, uh, is yeah. an interesting thing to look at. You know, um, where we're headed into. Um, what I believe is going to be a significant amount of time of continued raising interest rates. So I'm curious, um, how does that impact the investment strategy for your team, uh, both in the short and long-term?
1: Yeah. So short-term in regards to uh, how we approach deals, uh, we're obviously a little bit more picky. So we've, honed in on the criteria in regards to what deals we're looking for. So vintage wise, um, the, you know, we, were in the past, we were open to doing 60 deals, um, you know, properties built in the 1960s. Now we're really, really uh, keen on 1975 and newer, um, for various reasons, which we can get into in regards to the class, we're looking for C plus closer to B minus, um, properties in great locations, either a markets or uh, B plus areas, um, And also, in regards to markets, we've honed in, as I already spoke about, just on Atlanta and just on North Carolina, uh, because we're very confident in those areas, especially during these uncertain times. um, When it comes down to the financing aspect of it, Uh, we have, I do leverage and uh, kind of love having this awesome sponsorship team around me because they have a lot more experience than I do. My partner has over 25 years worth of experience and over a billion assets under management. So, although I haven't personally been through that many cycles, I know he has. Obviously, he's been alive a lot longer than I have. So fortunately, uh, he's been able to survive these cycles and learn a lot of lessons and valuable lessons from them. So we, we do leverage that. Um, in regards to the types of debt we're looking at, the deal is is obviously going to depend on the deal. Um, so a lot of people in the space that I look up to are pushing for you know, anyone in their audience to get fixed rate debt over the long term. Um, so that way, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen with interest rates, no one does, but Uh, in regards to the Fed and the predictions of them continuing to rise a rate or increase interest rates. If you have fixed rate debt, obviously that'll protect you from that. Now, my only concern with that is if you uh, fix a, you know, if you're locked into a high interest rate today, and let's say you're planning on being into that debt for 10 years, or let's say six years, whatever your business plan is. um, Now you're, you have no chance of it coming back down. Let's say it's 6% right now. And you're 10, uh, let's say you're two in two years that, Fed drops rates back down to 3% or 4%. You're kind of out of luck, right? Like you can't go back down if you're fixed. So that's the only thing. And prepayment penalties are obviously very expensive to sell any earlier. So for us, we're we're not necessarily opposed to doing bridge debt or um, fixed rates. In long-term debt, it just depends on the deal. Certain deals like value-add plays, it has to meet a certain DCI, debt service coverage ratio for that to even be considered for long-term proven agency debt. So if the deal just doesn't make sense in regards to going with the fixed rate debt, then we're not necessarily opposed to doing bridge debt as long as we're confident in the market and we are, are buying the property at a low enough price where we can calculate uh, rate caps and all that. And obviously um, we do want the three three year bridge loan with a plus one, plus one option to extend in the case that we're not able to get that uh, refinance year three, let's say that's your business plan for that. Um, then we have the option to extend if need be. Now, obviously the property has to be performing um, to be able to qualify for that extension but that's that's the goal right for the property to to perform
0: so in the in a fiercely competitive market, how are you sourcing deals what is it that you're doing that's keeping the the the, the flow and the pipeline healthy?
1: yeah, so um, always think busy right one thing that I can answer that question in two ways for finding deals um, my brother what he's been doing since he focuses on acquisitions is, always talking to brokers. We're always walking properties. We're always uh, having lunch with brokers, getting on calls. Uh, they, at this point, we do have a track record and a good reputation with a lot of brokers in our markets. So they're reaching out to us and we're always responsive, even when we're working on other deals um, and trying to get some across the finish line. We're still always looking. Now, our criteria may have honed, you know, honed in and is a little bit more strict than it was back then. But um, we're, we're letting them know that, you know, with us, you know, we can close because we have a great track record. Um, but in regards to price, that's where they're going to have to be lenient. Now, a lot of sellers are still not uh, shaking on price. They're still not you know, meeting where our expectations are, which is understandable. Um, although we're just not going to pay the price, right? We don't necessarily have to act on anything right now. Uh, we just are giving the, the brokers and letting them know that we have confidence that if you do choose us at our price, we'll close. So the one thing I can say is just always be underwriting and always be consistent with these brokers and nurturing those relationships, because I do think that... Um, it's these times that the real buyers come out to play and the, the ones that aren't necessarily the real ones are going to kind of go away or, or just not be a, available for these brokers and that's when you really build strong relationships so that when times are good and they have plenty of buyers they're going to still go with the ones that were there for them when there weren't many
0: yeah so um without a doubt as markets turn over uh, i've always performed uh we've been so blessed you know through yeah Good Lord's will, uh, we've we've performed really well in down markets um, because oh, yeah. the order takers go away. Um, the mm-hmm. folks that uh, really don't and and there's look there's a place for everyone uh, for sure but, yeah. But the the people who have not honed their craft, who have not taken the courses, joined the masterminds, hosted talks, done the research, read the books, listened to the podcasts. Um, they they're not able to uh, execute as fluidly anymore and and for us that kind of turning over and cleaning out of the market has always been productive for us as you as you just established yeah, right. um Are you contemplating uh, perhaps diversifying beyond multifamily at this point?
1: Not at this point, to be honest, um, as I am, still growing my portfolio. I think multifamily is an amazing asset class to be in right now. Um, it's obviously recession proof and it's something that's uh, proven, proven itself over time and over different recessions and downturns. So right now we are focused on it, but it, I mean, I, I love, I'm, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner, right? I'm a student of the game. So um, in regards to what I'd like my portfolio to look like in the future, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to just share one of the, I guess, um, he's a guy named George Gammon who, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he has an awesome breakdown of his portfolio. And I think that that's what mine might look like in the future. So he has 80% of his portfolio in cash, uh, cash flow producing assets that pay you to own it. That's real estate for me. Um, and then 10% of it, he likes to have in something he calls insurance. And for him, that's gold. And I think that's that's a great play. It's just something that you know if the US dollar does uh, get debased by another foreign currency or something like that. And it was its value, then gold is, is the insurance to that. In regards to the other 10%, he likes to put that into something that's speculative. Um, for me, that would be Bitcoin. I think uh, a lot of people can have different opinions on it, but um, as I'm sure you all saw, Bitcoin went down over the last few months. Um, I haven't looked at it in a few weeks since I'm not invested in it, but I did see how much it went down. So, in, in a matter of only a few weeks. So, that's how volatile things like that are. And for, for me, That's why the 10% would be towards a speculative investment like Bitcoin.
0: I I love it. It it sounds like you've got a hell of a vision and a hell of a goal here. Um, And I have no doubt that you're going to hit your marks, man. I love the energy. Uh, You have an interesting uh, book. It's a free ebook on the site. um, How to Not Go Bankrupt, uh, Five Mistakes That New Investors Make. Could you spend a couple of minutes on that for the audience and tell them where they can find it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, my my brother was the one that made it. So credit to, you know, to all of, of his hard work, um, putting that together for you all. But it's pretty much just um, a, a list of mistakes that a lot of passive investors make. Now, when you're looking at an investment opportunity, a lot of times some of these sponsors may not be doing uh, a great job of just educating you on all the risk. Um, and maybe you're new to it, right? So you don't understand all the questions you should ask, or there's certain things that the pitfalls you'd like to avoid. Then this would be a great resource for you. You can go to uh, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com/backslash playbook and you spell my last name D O N I S. So it's Donis Playbook. Sorry, Donisinvestmentgroup.com/backslash playbook.
0: So um, there's a lot of, of interesting factors out there right now that are far outside of our control uh you know yep. the 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 goal for you overall as we move through the ebb and flow and look the market's going to go up it's going to go down this is going to continue to yeah. turn over jeff what's the what does success look like for you is there an ultimate finish line what what does that look like
1: yeah so i i think um success is is It's something that like um, Matthew McConaughey, who is someone that is like in the Hollywood scene. He once said at a Grammy, uh, he was giving his Grammy speech, acceptance speech. He said, my dream, the dream person and the person I look up to is the person I'll become in 10 years. So every every time I win an award or every year that changes and that person is still 10 years away all the time. And for me, that's really the way I look at it. So I honestly don't think I'll ever meet, meet all of my goals um, and as we spoke before, my initial goal before 21 was a thousand units. And I, I, I knew this was going to happen. Like I had manifested this just in regards to like me writing it down every single day. I was like, I have a feeling like this is going to happen a lot sooner. I had no idea how that was going to happen, by the way. Like when you write these goals down, it's just, just you write it down because you think it's crazy. That's what, you know, people like Grant Cardone tell you to do write it down. He's crazy as it is. And it happens so much faster. I'm like, okay, what's the, the next crazy thing that I can write down, right? Cause it seems to work. So um, and for me, it's always going to be, Further and further, but right now the first step is to retire my mom. Um, we want to do that the right way with passive income, not active income. Um, active income is money that you make for putting your time in, but we want to take that money that we make for putting the time in, and then invest that into our own investments and other investments that will produce passive income. So that way, it's something that's uh, it's it's uh, I guess scalable, and we do it correctly where. We're not necessarily just burning the money and it's it's something that can only roll and roll and can last forever. So we want to do that first. The next step would be for me and my, all my investors, my goal is to help everyone that is investing with us and anyone else that I can just help through my content, live a life by design. And um, for me, that looks like having freedom in three things. It's location freedom, which is when you can spend your time wherever you want. Time freedom, which is when you can spend your time doing whatever you want and with whoever, whoever, or with whoever you want. And then uh, financial freedom, which allows you to do all three of those things. So those are the next next goal that I would have. And then um, lastly, one of like my lifelong goals, I read a book in Guatemala that I told you about when I was there for the first time. I didn't bring up the book, but when I was there, that's when I really started my entrepreneurial journey. I just had like three books that I took with me, and I was like, I'm going to finish these books while I'm here. The first one was Leaving Microsoft to Change the World. And it was about a, um, an executive that used to work at Microsoft. He was a highly paid executive. His name was John Wood. And he went to Nepal one day because he wasn't getting any fulfillment. He wasn't happy at his job. Uh, he went to Nepal and he brought a stack of books for him to read. Um, and then he eventually met all of these kids who were interested in the books. So he gave them all to their kids and saw how happy it made them. Um, and he saw, I mean, I mean, if I can do this on like a larger scale, why not? Why, why shouldn't I? Right. So he came back home, he sent it an email out. To everyone in his network, and asked them to donate books, and he got thousands of responses and thousands of books. Eventually, he sent all those to that, that Nepal, um, and slow and steadily, that became an organization called Room to Read, and it's a nonprofit now that builds libraries and schools in these third world countries. And one of the lines in the book that I'll forever remember, which really what sparked my interest, because I was sitting in the third world country, I'm um, looking around me, and I was like, "What can I do to make this a better place?" Um, he said, if you are able to, to teach and educate a female in a third world country who comes from poverty, and you're able to educate her and teach her to read, she's more likely to teach her offspring to read. As the mother of her kids, she was more likely to do that, which will make, and make it more likely that that family will be pulled out of poverty. So I thought, if he can do this, I mean, yes, it might not be my dharma to go and start a nonprofit, which I know I, one day that might be the thing I'd like to do, but I can just generate a lot of income and donate that to organizations like that. So that's something that I would love to uh, definitely help out with and maybe play a more hands-on role when it comes to helping families in Guatemala and other countries like that in Central America.
0: Uh, it, that's beautiful. It, it sounds like your goals and your vision and your values are aligned. Um, I think it was a, a John Maxwell book, Change Your World. Uh, we we had attended a, a speaking session And they had talked about how um, third grade reading level is the single most important and impactful metric in taking kids out of poverty, was focusing on their third grade reading level. And I thought to myself, you know, why the hell isn't this promoted everywhere? Why isn't every politician, every community leader, why isn't this like a focal point where, I mean, Good Lord, we should be donating and, and yeah. driving to right. And and unfortunately, I think the, the system is set up as such where uh that's intentional, but it's young men like you that are out there uh not just grinding and, and earning a living, uh, but you're 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 being mindful of how to impact your community. There is no greater reward uh than lifting up your brothers and sisters around you. Uh we've mm-hmm. we've been blessed. And we've done a lot of deals in our day and we've had a lot of successes and none of them come anywhere close to the impact when you're able to lift somebody else around you up and and help them out. So I applaud you for that. God bless you for that. Um, Jeff, I I wish you all the best in the world where where's the best place for people to learn more about you and to contact you?
1: Yeah, so feel free to visit our website at Uh Check out our podcast, The Real Estate Monopoly, on all podcast aggregators. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram at Jeffrey Donis. And then on our uh, brother's account, it's Donis Brothers on LinkedIn. I'm sorry, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and then Instagram as well. Uh, Again,
0: nothing but the best. Congratulations on the success. Congratulations on hitting your goal. Jeffrey Donis, everybody, check them out. The Donis Investment Group, as always, all the links are below. And everybody, please stay safe.